Namaste friends, this is part three of my conversation with Raji Malhotra on his latest book, A Real Bombshell. The title of the book is Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Power, Five Battlegrounds. So Raji, uh, at the end of second episode, I had told you that my next question will be, what exactly triggered this interest in you because you were into a whole range of other areas and you have taken everybody by surprise by going back to the field that you left behind many years ago this was your professional expertise right, right? um artificial intelligence computers and all the rest so what made you go back what triggered this interest? so you know that's a good question so you know sometimes uh, a book comes about when multiple things that you are pursuing all come together. So at a philosophical level, I mean, this book has a lot of deep philosophy also, implications, which I'm going to write about in more books and details. At a philosophical level, I've always wondered, is the cosmos uh, an algorithm or is it a being? Uh, algorithm would mean that it is following some mechanical laws, like laws of physics are very mechanical, the way the tides are, the way the eclipses are, all the the reason we are able to make machinery and have airplanes and all because, because it's predictable behavior. Nature behaves in a very predictable manner. There's a large part. That is why there is physics, because there is predictability of behavior. So how far can that pursuit go? How far can science keep discovering that nature is more and more algorithms, more and more clever algorithms? I wanted to, I wanted, to, I've always felt that, uh, that, that kind of a quest in me. And then there is the spiritual side in me. The, the first is the scientist in me wants to understand algorithms of nature. Uh, and the second is the spiritualist in me wants to see, uh, understand nature as being, as actual being, you know, conscious being. So this business of uh, being versus algorithm, in fact, one of the, uh, the part one of the book is called Algorithm versus Being because uh, it's an exploration to see uh, is, is the algorithm getting ahead? The AI is making the algorithm ahead more and more smart and more and more powerful over our lives. And uh, the on the other hand, the consciousness movement, the yoga movement, the movement of uh, meditation and people going inside the adhyatma, that is making us uh, more and more connected with being. So are we, is there, there seems to be a contest between the algorithm advancing and the being advancing. And if the algorithm were to win, then, you know, what happens to the being? Then are we, are we just becoming more and more mechanized? And that would be the case if AI wins too much. Uh, and, and then the people, a few haves who own all this AI will become the titans, the giants who control everything. And the beingness in all of us will be kind of subdued, uh, maybe even become like slaves. On the other hand, if we don't, uh, if we disown this whole uh, algorithm side and we just go with beings as a being, uh, the, our tradition, the Vedic tradition says that the being is all powerful. Uh, the being can have all these powers. We don't need machines and pushing buttons to get all these kind of powers. Uh, the, the rishis had these powers. Without uh, silicon planted in them, without some kind of a machine or a computer giving them these powers, they could have, they could see, they could, uh, they had not only cognition, uh, but future, past, uh, uh, and all the things that they could do, the yogic powers. So the power that algorithm uh, becoming smarter and smarter through AI is one, and the power of being, uh, becoming enhanced consciousness, uh, being raised is another. So this... Uh, Algorithm versus being has been part of my life all through. 
I've been a philosophical level. Now, I in my private life, I was into the primacy of consciousness, that kind of philosophy, pursuing that very seriously all my life. And in my professional life, it was more like, you know, the algorithm, even, even as an IT person, trying to do things with those kind of machines better and better and make money. And so when I left all that, uh, you know, some 26, 27 years ago and pursued a career more as a scholar, uh, uh, giving back to society and writing about humanities and social sciences. And civilizational issues. Right. And invariably, you went to learn from and exchange ideas with the spiritual gurus. You've been in close contact with the best of them and not the so good ones. Uh, you also tried to figure out if RSS and other Hindu organizations could get engaged and involved. Right. So you've always tried to reach out to all these multiple outfits who claim to be involved with civilizational right. renaissance or the whole idea of Hindu Rashtra and the glory of uh, Bharatvarsh. Right. Uh, did you with this also explore uh, whether they were capable of uh, understanding and tuning into these concerns? Quite frankly, I'm disappointed with RSS. I'm disappointed with the spiritual gurus. I'm disappointed with the ruling elite in government. I'm disappointed with the corporate uh, because they should have some ethics. I'm just certainly disappointed with the media. And I'm also disappointed with the Hindu activists because they haven't figured this out. They haven't wanted to learn enough about this. And I will say you are the first person I'm opening up this with the first person who's not a techie expert, who's not a subject matter expert in AI, because I have had, I decided that the first month I will have discussions only with subject matter experts and people from defense and industry and academia and so on to establish the credentials and the solid nature of the book on a factual basis. Uh, and that has already been achieved because th th this book is being well received, a lot of traction. Uh, I'm getting calls every day. People, people who are subject matter experts want to get into this area. But then I figured that uh, with that as a foundation, I want to get into the people who speak from the humanities and social sciences, who talk about public policy, who talk about you know what's happening to our society. And I must say that I decided you are the right person to, to discuss this with. So since we're having an, a very open uh, conversation, uh, and your question is a very straightforward, blunt question on what, I, what do I think of all the different leaders of Indian society, uh, I have to say I'm very disappointed by them. Uh, so we can go through them one by one. Uh, I was, I you know, I've, I've, I've tried to work very hard, very close with RSS people. And on a personal level, I really respect them. I think they're good human beings. They are, they have good character. They're not some, you know, cunning people or people trying to deceive or any of that. They're good people on a personal level. But as an organization and as an institution, I think they're very obsolete. They have not caught on with the latest trends in the world. Uh, and, and their management style is to Clyde of closed ranks. So when an outsider like me brings some knowledge that they don't have, uh, they are interested, but they'll bring in one of their guys to pick my brain, pick it, figure it out, and then dump me, and then he's supposed to champion it. But they are not able to do it. I mean, you cannot you cannot pick a you cannot pick a ripe fruit 
and uh, replace the purpose of the tree, which is which has roots and which has a whole uh, um, process to make more, many more fruits. You need that tree. You cannot just pluck some fruits and eat them and figure we don't need the tree anymore. So when they, when they, so every time I've uh, tried, uh, you know, explaining things. I get a good re reception. I get very friendly people, very seriously interested, very respectful. But there is no traction in actually transferring this knowledge in a very serious way to their rank and file. Because maybe they feel threatened that an outsider teaching our people uh, will make us, uh, the leaders, obsolete. Maybe the leaders feel vulnerable that if an outsider is allowed to come and encourage to teach all these people, then what will, what, what will they think of their own leaders? So maybe they're insecure. Other than insecurity with you, I think it's also a serious problem of intellectual Okay, so let's come to that. Anasas yeah. has been very suspicious of intellectuals because intellectuals are so easy to discipline. I used to be a consultant one time going to top uh, corporate people in tech and all that. Uh, and and uh, helping them do their turnaround. And one of the first things you always ask your client is who who are you compete who are you competing against and what are your benchmarks? How do you evaluate your success? Because you can't improve unless you know what constitutes success. You must have a clear idea of what your goal is and what you how do you measure that? So when I've asked this to the RSS people, it seems that their goals are not based on industry benchmarks. Their goals are not based on what, what a competitor is doing in, in the same area. Their goal is more uh, to continue what their founder did. Okay, okay, this is our way of life. This, this is how we've always done. This, RSS is like this only. You won't understand you're an outsider, but this is how we are. Now, if your cricket team is losing, you cannot go on saying that this is how we do our batting, sir. Sir, this is our old way of doing batting. Are out and so you have to change your game. So now they need they need an influx of outside thinking, and they're not willing to bring in leaders from the outside. They're not willing to even bring in people at the middle level uh, as who are outsiders. They want the shaka product. So it's all homegrown, inbred, which means the same thinking gets uh, revived and you know uh, from bottom up. There is, there is something to be said for loyalty to the organization because people in the shakas have worked very hard and so they are being promoted. Something to be said for that. But they need to know that they are obsolete. They are totally obsolete. So when I ask some people, what, who, who would you uh, consider your, your equivalents in other countries? They had not thought of it. You know, RSS should, in a global era, here is my point. The most important organization in the world that RSS should look up to, look look towards as a competitor and say, let's have benchmarks, let's see what they're doing, what we are doing, and compare. The most important such organization in the world, according to me, is the People's Liberation Army, the PLA. The PLA is a grassroots organization. Oh. RSS is a grassroots organization. PLA followed the communist model. RSS followed the their idea of Hindutva model. Fine, but PLA is not the government. The Communist Party is the government. People's Liberation Army owns the Communist Party in the sense that RSS owns BJP, similar. So P People's Liberation Army runs the army. The actual military army is run by them as one of their subsidiaries. The government of uh, President Z is run by, is reports to the People's Liberation Army. All of their industrialists, all of their academicians, so the People's Liberation Army, if, if you were to say that RSS is something equivalent to that, building grassroots society, 
you changing the character of people making them more nationalistic educating them better that is what pla has done because pla over the last 40 years has taken a very poor country very uneducated country bad ethics no discipline uh, bad health and transform that society grassroots up and the communist party which is ruling is the top down version top down how to create institutions create power structures and implement this through force and pla is bottom up you know so the top down and bottom up have worked miraculously together it's the equivalent would be that rss bottom up and bjp top down could be working together in the same way but the difference is that in their case the army also reports to them whereas in india it's not and in their case the the the, the these big tycoons and industries are loyal to the pla to the hilt they're loyal if they are not they are pulled back so the the rss now imagine uh, an old fuzzy dazzy pla communist old kind of people are now cutting edge in quantum computing cutting edge in ai cut they have got more solar power uh, technology than anybody else more drone and robotic technology than anybody else in semiconductors they have not caught up with the west but they want to in a few years and they probably will the west is quite concerned about it so all the building blocks of ai they they this very old fashion ideologically uh, d- driven people's liberation army ha- how have they managed to keep their 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 uh, culture of being a communist and being uh, being a party all of that intact at the same time harness so many amazing things from the outside how and what would have what would be the case if rss while keeping its hindu rashtra intact that ideology intact they've lost that mooring also they don't talk about the hindu rashtra anymore if any suppose you say okay you are you are that is your foundation and you are pure and you with respect to your past and you are continuing no no we can't i wish they at least talked about hindu rashtra and a road map to achieving it because then that would compel them to face the challenges ahead they have no road map they've even abandoned it as a slogan my concern is that uh, while there may be that issue in their ideological foundation also find that could be or you know you 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 you've looked into that i'm more concerned with on top of whatever the foundation is why have they failed to uh, to they can't say that uh, bjp is too busy running politics so they can't uh, understand ai what is uh, rss's excuse why haven't they been able to do this now when you go to the uh, uh, the ai campuses in america some of those people working in ai are also rss people they are in their personal capacity i know some of them some of the good ai techni- uh, technocrats are also rss members but they have not been able to connect it they the the message i'm giving is a, is how to connect it with culture society civilization nation building uh, they are not able to do that so they lack imagination they, so that is to me a sign of mediocrity because they've had i don't have access to any institution that i can go to and they spread my message i have or, or give me funds or give me resources but you also have relate good relations with many of the spiritual gurus who yes. have huge yes. followings um jaggi satguru shri shri ramakar So- I would say just without mentioning name but because applies to all of them they've missed the mark on AI some of them have gone to world economic forum they've gone to davos they've gone to uh, you know you know the the place in uh, in uh, uh, you know colorado they've gone to all these aspen they've gone to all these 
very prestigious top places because the, it is fashionable for the liberal West to invite leaders of all metaphysical groups and faiths and all that. So the ones who are very popular, who are internationally known, multinational gurus, they are the ones who get invited. And I've seen some of those interviews when somebody talks about AI and spirituality. It's laughable how how mediocre the response and what an amazing opportunity with a huge world-class audience they're not able to get. They're, they have TED Talks and they have all kind of international limelight available to them, but they have not taken the leadership position in this. So I say to the, to the RSS people, shame on you that you couldn't produce this. I say to the spiritual gurus, shame on you that you couldn't produce this. I'm doing this with my own resources. And even now that I'm doing it, rather than helping me, I mean, I'm having to just get get through, knock at doors and go one by one on my own. No help coming from any institution that, you know, this guy is producing something very important. We better pay attention. So that is why I decided I'm going to go public and let the, let the chips fall. And this book may produce some issues that they now there is some some Niti Aayog type people suddenly scrambling in the last few weeks, suddenly scrambling. Uh, I uh, my, my publisher sent them a, a copy of this and uh, wanted them to release it. And they didn't want to release them. They didn't want to release my book. They, they didn't want to even show up at the launch event. Now, they are scared of this. But then they have to deal with it because it's out there. People are going to buy a lot of it. People are going to raise these issues. So when it becomes public debate, no matter what they say about me, the point is these are issues public will debate. I'm reminded of a, a Q&A session that Jaggi Sadhguru had in one of the foreign universities when they raised this question of AI and, you know, it's, it's subversive potential, yes. what it means for job, job losses, etc. His response was, now that you were talking about the gurus, his response was, why be afraid of it? Because AIA will free the human race of needless drudgery. Right. So we'll all have a lot more time. Uh, like um, in some of the European countries, you already have a four-day week and there's, you know, all the work uh, life is shrinking, leisure life is supposed to expand and we'll all have more fun if robots are doing our work. What do you say so, to that? So that's a very shallow view. And he, he, the, the, a lot of these very glib gurus are shallow when you, but they don't want to be probed. The view that uh, if 100 hours were required uh, of human labor, now we're going to require, you know, 30 hours. Uh, so all the people will have 70 hours free is a naive assumption that uh, uh, the, the, the haves, the people who control the technology, who control the capital, will want everybody to have a leisurely life. What's more likely to happen is you'll need fewer people. Uh, the the amount with the automation with automation making uh, in the last 30 40 years regular automation of computers it has not reduced the workload of people people are working like crazy i mean i see uh, i see my kids the amount of hours they work is more so so the the the, the competition among companies the competition in capitalist society to drive profits and to reduce expenses means that you're not going to encourage, okay, the work can be done in less time. So you guys sit at home and do gardening and all that. The What will happen is that you'll still work as hard and you'll squeeze more profit out of it. The, 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 the human greed 
as a scenario driving all of this versus the human uh, generosity and very nice guy and everybody. Uh, these are the two scenarios. And maybe the gurus are more into the idealistic scenario of how it ought to be, but forgetting the pragmatic scenario of how it is. How it is versus how it ought to be are very different worlds. I mean, if you if you were to go with how it ought to be, then Duryodhan shouldn't be doing what he did, and there would have been no Mahabharat. If you are if you are thinking about how it ought to be, Ravan should not be the way he was. Ra, Sri Ramachandra was not needed to come down and be an avatar and do all this. So our itihas teaches that life in the world is not how it ought to be, but this is how it is, and that is what the Kurukshetra is like, and that is what your you, the 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 Kshatriya and you have to face. You tell me that Niti Ayog was very disappointing in its response yes. to your book and to your earlier interaction yes. with them. What about the Ministry of Science and Technology? What about the Prime Minister's office? I respect the minister. He's, he's very good to me, but no response. I mean, I've sent them, I send them all my press announcements. I send them PDFs. I said, can I call and have a discussion with you? Uh, no response, as if, you know, I, it's better to sort of avoid me and wish that this whole nuisance would go away. See, I don't want to turn into an Edward Snowden type guy that they think, okay, you know, now this guy is a troublemaker. He's exposed us big time. I don't want to do that. So I also have to be a little careful. Uh, I mean, in this book, I've pulled back many things. This is already 500 plus pages. It could have been 2000 pages and I'm keeping all those things. I, I'm keeping my ammunition dry because I'm going to produce many more books and I'm going to do it gradually. As the traction builds up, there's people like you, there's other people, there are some very important people in uh, powerful places also who are co gradually coming on board. As traction builds up and I feel I'm protected, there's other people who are with me, uh, Then, and I need your help in this. I need your help to take it to the right circles. Uh, you know, then I'm also more confident I can share more. And I would really like to get into problem-solving mode. Right now, I'm into exposing the problem, but I have some very... I have very good ideas on how to solve this. I have ideas on how we could actually leapfrog ahead. There are some assets that India has that could use, be used to create a next generation way ahead of other people. But, you know, if I just talk about it, it will just become talking points for 50 people giving their YouTube talks and doing all these manthans and all that. I don't want my knowledge to be used in the same way used and abused in the same way like the previous knowledge where the idea was the ego wants to grab it and go ahead with it and dump me on the side. I don't want that. I want some collegiality. I want some camaraderie. I want teamwork. I want to build a group that really wants to take these ideas forward as a team. That's what I would like. Okay, so next step will be if this book gets the deserved traction, you're going to talk about, you're going to write about yes. solutions. Uh, how do we make up for this lag? How do we make up for this lag? How do we do it responsibly so that we are not harming the uh, the lower, uh, the underclass in terms of who are already undereducated and making them even more obsolete so that they have to wait for a handout and wait for subsidies and all that. But how to incorporate them, uh, how to use India's unique assets. India has some very interesting assets. And so this requires a rethink from government policy. It requires rethink from defense, from industry. Uh, academia. It requires, you know, I'm surprised that China a dozen years ago set the public policy that by 2025, one of the 
top goals of China is that they'll be number one by 2025, number one in the world. And it is loud and clear. Why are we surprised now? It's only because of Doklam and these Himalayan wars that the military people said, you know what, they got these AI technologies on the border. So we better, suddenly we are waking up and saying, Are bhai, AI bhi kya cheez hoti hai. And so everybody's running around trying to create some AI policies. So this is too little, too late. But we need, so the same people who are sleeping are, we can't expect that suddenly they're going to become very smart. They, the basic thing the government has to think is whether they're willing to bring in people who are not part of their cabal, part of their shakha, part of their, uh, you know, IAS, cadre or something like that. Are they willing to work with such people or not? And if they are not, fine. I, I'm a writer. I'm a happy guy. I'm 70 plus, whatever years I have left, I'll just keep writing, uh, making some controversy, uh, shaking up people. And that's all I, I'm, I'm happy doing that. You, you've already um, explained this um, metaphor in some ways, but I would like to conclude with this final question. Um, you use this very powerful and very evocative metaphor of the Titanic um, from the film Titanic. Um, I got it instantly. And honestly, it's, it sent uh, shivers down my spine. Um, I would like to yeah. So you're quick, you're smart. Uh, and, and I wrote about the Titanic in this book. I do want to explain it. But first I'll say that uh, my, my uh, uh, publisher called me up and said, Rajiv ji, please remove this whole thing about Titanic. So I said, why? Rajivji, this is not good because, you know, it really makes us look like, you know, people get scared. So, so actually, this is how powerful it is. And, and, and when he said that, I figured, you know, okay, that means I have to keep it uh, because uh, all the more, yes. you know, is doing its job. So let me tell the viewers, Titanic was about 100 years ago, considered the world's greatest ship ever built, a passenger ship, very solid, five-star, seven-star luxury liner, the rich and elite who's who would travel on this and invincible cannot possibly fail, cannot possibly break because it had all the technology. And on its maiden voyage, the very first voyage from England to New York, it sank. Okay. So this is the, in a, this is what the Titanic, what happened to the Titanic. Now it sank because it hit an iceberg. It hit an iceberg, which is, uh, you know, a floating piece of a floating mountain of ice only 10% is visible above the water, 90% is below, and you can't see it. And therefore, that water, that huge mountain of ice below the surface, you can't see, and so you can hit it. So the metaphor I have, the comparison I'm making is, artificial intelligence is the iceberg, which is only partly visible above the surface. A large part of artificial intelligence is not visible to ordinary people unless you have a radar unless you have the ability, the drishti to look for what is this AI all about, which is what I have done. So since I have done, I have that drishti and I have done that research, I understand that AI is not just what's visible above the surface, but there's a large part of it beneath the surface. We better understand it. So the because the Titanic captain was sleeping or drunk or couldn't care less, whatever it is, there's a controversy on what happened. But he wasn't paying attention to this, and so the ship hit. But Rajiv, what it reminded me of is also that scene when, while the ship is sinking, the orchestra keeps that playing. That is a part of the. That you is know, part of this whole thing. That is part of this whole thing. Very good. And the government of India seems to be 
doing exactly, exactly. that yeah, so what has happened is ai as a you know iceberg is only partly known and partly visible and india is the titanic which is hitting it but it's not the titanic because titanic was cutting edge at that time it's a kind of a lower version of a ship it's a ship like that uh, and and i'll come and discuss later whether it has already hit the titanic in which case it's sinking or whether it's about to hit the titanic and there's still a chance we can avoid that we'll discuss in a while once the titanic hit the iceberg it sank in 2 hours and 40 minutes it took 2 hours and 40 minutes yeah. from the collision till the, it's sinking so the life during those 2 hour 40 minutes is very interesting that is what's captured in this uh, in the movie couples were dancing on the deck there was a band playing and they kept playing they sank when the when the ship drowned uh, ship uh, sank the people on the deck drowned and died but they they were lifeboats they could have jumped on the lifeboats some people were very pragmatic they jumped on the lifeboat they saved but a whole lot of lifeboats were left empty unused because there were people going living life like tea cabin life goes on music playing dancing there were people having arguments which is like indians fighting each other over little petty thing and this rural area this side you know by election there were people discussing things like how to decorate this what should be the menu and water is gathering some people fighting each other some people doing like life as usual a few people running 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 to save themselves but a lot of people treating like life as usual uh, you know ho ra chalo siren bajra chalo koi baat nahi and they all drowned so the this is a very interesting uh, uh, metaphor to describe there is this issue called artificial intelligence india is headed towards a collision the captains are sleeping the captains of india are sleeping where are they why don't they have the sonar radar on watching and if i am coming and telling them for the last 5 years are bhaiya ye hai this is what the the iceberg looks like this is what its shape is they are interested so the captains of india are irresponsible and sleeping and then the average uh, limelight of indian celebrities and cricket players and movie stars and businessmen and all these people who go around doing their tamasha on social media they are having a ball they are just having a good time and lot of petty fights and rivalries going on which are inconsequential because when the ship is sinking then all those little details you are talking about have made, make no difference so this is the this is the metaphor of the titanic and uh, uh, you know uh, it uh, i i don't know if it has already hit Uh, the iceberg uh, in which case is too late or if it's about to my hunch is we could still save it but it will take urgent action it will take dramatic action it will take no nonsense action there is no time for protocol and saying ye insider hai wo, wo kahan ka hai usko ye karna hai usko all this petty politics i'm going through even in writing this book and bringing it out you know there are some people who jumped at it uh, and said this is fantastic i've read it i want to be part of it and these are very serious se- senior people uh, and then there are those who feel ke acha aap to right wing hai ya left wing hai ya kaya wing hai ya aap hamare organization mein nahi hai unki you know this kind of pettiness so uh, if if this pettiness continues we will hit the iceberg and we will sink uh, in order to save ourselves you got to rise above all this pettiness and the differences and do something very quick so this is the message this captures the message well rajit thank you i'm really honored that you chose to spend 
so many hours talking to me and bearing your heart out. I'm truly honored by that. And I promise you, I'll do whatever little I can in my limited uh, capacity, with my limited capacity to make people aware of the dangers that we are facing. And I look forward to the sequel. Um, I just hope that this catches the kind of attention it deserves. This is truly a very, very important warning bell that you rung. Um, and far more serious than Breaking India 1.0. Uh, and I sincerely hope. I mean, actually, we haven't even started tackling 1.0 yet. Um, the conversion mafias, for example, are having a field day. The speed of conversions has really shot up in the last decade or so. So clearly, though that book really became epochal and uh, has changed the mindset of so many people, including my own, um, I must say we haven't yet done enough. Though you can see from social media how influential the narrative that you set into motion has been. Um, there's hardly a conversation on these civilizational issues that doesn't use the phrases that you introduced in your Breaking India 1.0. And I hope that this book, apart from becoming as decisive in changing the political discourse, the public discourse on these issues, actually will somehow shake our rulers into taking note. And I look forward to the follow-up volume where you discuss solutions as well. Thank you so much. Thank Raj. you. Thank, thank you, you, Madhu. This has been a, this has been a wonderful. Thank you very much, Madhu. Thank you. Thank you.